beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Holiday extended hours underway. You got it. And so we've been in it for a week already, and we're still in it now. So through Christmas Eve, it's going to be Monday to Friday, 10 to 8, Saturday, 10 to 4, and Sunday, 11 to 2. So that means we'll be open tomorrow. So if you're trying to get some stuff before the Bills game, um, or if you're trying to sneak away after the Bills game, you got an hour to do so. So mm-hmm. we'll be open tomorrow, and we'll be open Christmas Eve as well, 11 to 2. Very good. So extended holiday hours, keep those in mind. Uh, you can shop online, nthomebrew.com, for anything you need. Order online, pick up in-store. Gift certificates, too, right? That's yep. a very, very popular item right around now. Yep, you got it. And we have two options on our store. So if you want it quick, you can get the email code. You'll get a little, like, uh, you know, uh, JPEG image that you can then forward to the person or send directly to them. And then we also still have the option for getting the hard cardstock gift certificate. Um, in the the days of a lot of e-codes and swipe card gift certificates, those still mean a little something. They're a little decorative and they, you know, they show that you went out and you knew where you were going. But we still have those. You can order those online, and they're sent to you free of shipping. All right. Very good. Draft supplies in stock. Um, if you have anything you need, draft kits, pump taps, cleaning supplies, replacement parts, those are all available. What about – we haven't talked hops in a while. I have a, a buddy, actually, who did his first cryo hops batch. Yeah. Uh, came out of it pretty happy. Yeah. No, I think there's been a – when it first came out again, there was a lot of people who said, oh, do we really need hoppier beers? And I think it was maybe a little bit of short sight from some of us wholesalers to think about really some of the other, uh, you know, factors with it, with the, especially the stability of it over time. And so we have an IPA that we made a big batch of that we've had on tap for six months, and it still tastes nice and fresh. And because of that, and the fact that you're getting kind of 2.5 ounces to one – they're really actually kind of more economic for these bigger beers. So you get a bigger punch, you're spending a little bit less money, and if you're the only one drinking it in the household, the beer's going to last a lot longer. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a win-win-win. Uh, they've been moving a lot faster as kind of people have more of a chance to play with them. Yeah, and you guys had – we talked a couple weeks ago about getting some different kind of hops in, whether it was um... – We got some new ones in. We have uh, Dr. Rudy. Um, Never heard of that. Yeah, it's a a New Zealand hop. Uh, We also have some other new Australian hops. Not so much on the local for new this year, um, but uh, we have that as well. So so if you're looking for hops from around the world, Australia, New Zealand, we have those. We have some of the new ones for the season. But we also kind of have the favorites from local harvest as well. Columbus, Cascade, and Chinook seem to be the most popular um, out of the local hops from last year. And we got a fresh supply of those in. So those are all restocked as well. Very good. The Taste of Buffalo homebrew competition, which is on the way. Uh, entry deadline coming up. Coming up. Next month. It's, yep. It's going to be the 20th of January, and there's kind of limited categories. They're mostly lighter beers. So if you want to take a list, there's a – if you go to homebrew com, or homebrew at tasteofbuffalo.com, there's a long list of all the different styles. We are a drop-off location. Again, the deadline is the 20th of January. So if you win that competition, not only um, will a lot of people know about it, because your beer will be served at the Taste of Buffalo. And that's one of the reasons they're looking for the light styles there. Mm -hmm. Very good. So get your entries in. Uh, Where do you turn those in? Niagara Tradition. There are other spots? There is another. There's one other drop-off location. I, I 
think if you're in the Buffalo area, we're going to be your closest. I'm okay. not 100% Fair. sure on that. Um, there may be more added as they go along. So as you get closer to the the entry deadline, like nobody's dropping these off you know, 30, 40 days in advance. Yeah. You're usually a week or two. You start to see them slowly trickling in. Um, so as they get more requests and they talk to more people, they'll usually get some more drop-off Standard locations. kind of drop-off procedures, same as AWOL. You got it. It's a BJC paint. Yeah. thanks and competition so you're going to use that standard form they have a link on the website um and you can uh earn points for it so if you're looking for kind of building to maybe hottie which is returning this year that's the new york state home brewer of the year uh that competition is coming back if you're looking at something like that or entering the nationals these can build you those points all right so last week and this week it's like a two-parter we've yeah. got things flowing from last week to this week it's all about yeast saving, reculturing. Mm -hmm. And this all started from us talking about the catalyst fermentation system. Which you guys do have in stock. Yes, we have in stock, um, and we'll have still in stock a couple of display units after the holidays. And what the catalyst is is a uh, conical fermenter with a yeast dump valve uh, that's a high-density clear PETHD plastic. Um, So you get all the benefits of a conical, um, but you also get to watch it which is one of the biggest complaints for those using stainless steel or buckets is it's not, you know, oh, this material or the, the process is I don't get to watch the fermentation, why the Fermonster is so popular. Catalyst, a little more expensive, around $200 compared to $33 for a Fermonster, but it also has the dump valve in two mason jars. So if you're trying to reculture yeast, that makes it really really easy so you don't have to go through the kind of uh like we were talking about to kind of gather your yeast of you know taking a ladle sanitizing it trying to skim the top of the primary fermentation to get the most active cells and trying to leave away trub when you have a conical fermenter and it's clear you can take this stuff out and load so you get a really pure sample right from the get-go one that you probably won't have to wash uh and reculture and all the things we kind of been talking about about over the past two weeks. So if you're looking to do this and you really want to make it easy, maybe these past two shows have made it a little bit intimidating, Mm -hmm. the Catalyst will really make it a lot more uh, user-friendly as far as, you know, saving your used yeast. So it wouldn't hurt to, not to say don't listen to this show, but wouldn't hurt to go back in the audio vault uh, at ESPN 1520 or WGR and find last week's show because that's going to bring you through saving, reculturing, uh, collecting it, harvesting it, washing it as well. Uh, so a quick cliff note to that to get us to where we kind of left off last So we week. left off, we, we, you had a used fermentation, right? Or you had a starter that you made that you made a very large. You, you collected some yeast off of that and you started washing, which again, everybody thinks of washing is some type of like chemical or sulfate additive that maybe kills off bacteria. It's not. You're just merely separating yeast cells from trub, from bits of hot and stuff like that. It's pouring and settling. And pouring and, and settling. settling. And as many times you need, the better you get at you know, kind of the collection part of it, the better you get at, you know, timing the process to, you know, steal um, yeast at the right time, the better you get at the washing and kind of guessing the right vessel size. Again, I start with a gallon jug to end up with usually one large mason jar full of yeast or maybe at least a half gallon growler to get that same mason jar. Um, 
that you, the washing is really, again, just separation. You're using the different densities, the fact that the hops are denser than the trub and the trub that are denser than the yeast, and then you'll have all the liquid filled with any kind of impurities on top. You're using that kind of separation in order to culture just the yeast. You're not kind of moving everything else over through the process, just taking the cells. Mm -hmm. So we left off with people now had this big pile of yeast, you know, with um, they just poured off the liquid, poured off the yeast. Now you've gotten rid of that kind of dark and dense shrub at the bottom. And now you've hoping, hopefully have this kind of evenly colored kind of taupe kind of mush. Now, depending on the different yeast, it will actually have much different consistency too. Some yeasts like English ales almost come off slimy. Um, some of the other English ales will come into a, you know, like a hard like mat. I found lager yeasts are almost like sandy. They don't have much flocculation, which makes sense if they stick around fermenting in a long fermentation. So they won't hold themselves together. And it's something that's interesting to check out when you do this. You're looking at a large sample of mold. We don't think about the different properties as far as, you know, how they look, whether they're kind of more snotty, sandy, mm -hmm. or scabby is another word that's used Yikes. when all is said and done. Um, so they quite have some different properties to them. So it's something that's interesting to check out right now. But now that you have all this kind of pure yeast, you have to save it somehow. Um, and you have a couple kind of criteria for whatever vessel you're going to use in. You're going to want it to have a really good seal, but you're also going to want to fill it with mostly yeast, maybe a little bit of liquid on top. Um, the mason jars and clear vessels are really popular for this. And again, if we go back to the pop bottles, they were one of my favorites. If I got down to the end of the process and I had a 16-ounce pop bottle, same size as most of the mason jars, and I had too much air, too much liquid for whatever I was trying to save, I could then squeeze the pop bottle over the sink, force out all that stuff I didn't want, and close the top so that there's no air inside. There's a minimal amount of kind of wart left over, and I'm really storing just plain yeast cells. And again, the other thing that's nice about this, if it does start to swell over time, if it does go bad, one, I'm going to see that because the bottle's going to swell up. Uh, and two, it won't create nice shards of glass when it explodes. So if I do forget about it for the long term and it does blow up, I have a mess. I don't have anything hazardous. Um, the other choice vessel are Grosch bottles in mason jars. And one of the reasons that people really like those is because they're able to self-vent a little bit. The idea is if there's a little bit of gas production while you're saving the yeast, it will kind of push up the lid and uh, let out some CO2 so you don't, again, have an explosion in the fridge. And the nice thing about all of these things is they're nice and clear so you can see the culture. You can see if it changes color. Um, you can see if anything happens to it or if it settles further and you might want to take, again, off some liquid or some trub before you move on to our next step, reculturing. Okay. Should we get a break in or should we? I think it's a good podcast. Okay, that's, that's a good re recap of where we were. So now, got your news and information. Part so. two on the way. The meat of the show on the way here. It's Nag Traditions Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means. Either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply. 
1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Back here on Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White and Bert Deister. All right, so into the meat of reculturing, saving, reculturing, and all that goes with it when you're trying to uh, do that with your yeast. Yeah, and so the first thing I can tell you that's going to make this whole process a lot easier is finding uh, a place where the temperature will be stable and in the right range for your yeast. A lot of us who has fermentation chambers, they got a refrigerator with that also has a heating unit in it. This is really easy. You set the temperature you want, you put it in there, you know it's going to be in a stable environment. Um, if you don't have that luxury, you may want to fill up your, you know, growler, your Erlenmeyer flask, whatever you use for your starters, put a thermometer on it and begin leaving it around the house in cupboards, in closets, trying to find a place that has a nice stable temperature so that when you come back and you check on that thermometer, you're kind of getting the same temperature range each time. Because, uh, temperature is key for yeast, not only for flavor production, but also for kind of metabolism. And we're going to want to try Try to reculture these yeast quick so that bacteria or other molds don't have time to get in there and begin metabolizing. So we're always utilizing the fact that the yeast metabolize faster than a lot of other stuff when we're culturing them up to reduce the overall percentage of bacteria in there. So look for a good place to get fermentation. Again, if you can have a chamber, that's going to be best. If not, start moving it around a couple of days ahead of time so you know you're going to have a place that has the right temperature. Um, You also may want to do a viability test if you've staved this for a long time. And basically, doing a viability test is really, if you you have a Y yeast package, you know this is pretty easy. You smack it, you see if it swells. Um, If I was using one of my pop bottles, what I would often do is open it up, put in some fresh wort, seal it back up and see if it swells up over a couple of hours. You're seeing that if the the yeast are ready to go and if they're going to be able to culture up in the next couple of days. Uh, The other preferred method is to take a beer bottle, you know, put the yeast and your starter solution in the beer bottle and put a balloon over the top so that again you may only do this for three four hours you may do it overnight and you just want to see that the yeast is producing and then you might want to give that gas that's produced a good smell to make sure it doesn't smell um, like it could be going with Britannomyces like really farty or that it's going uh, with an acetobacter or pediococcus and we'll let you look up the descriptors for those but it, basically you want to make sure that it smells like one of your fermentations. And so you want to then take that and then move it on to your starter. Um, We've talked about starters a couple of times, and they're pretty simple to get together here. There's, you know, uh, three parts of light dried malt extract to one part like corn sugar, and then that will go into a, a solution of water. And so usually what this ends up being is for every 200 milliliters, which would be a good first step for your starter, you end up with 15 grams of DME and 5 grams of dextrose. Um, You can also add yeast energizer to that. That same 200 milliliters will get a 30-second teaspoon. Now, the reason I keep going back to this 200 milliliters when brewers are usually doing uh, starters of 1,000 or 1,500 is that you may want to kind of jump it up in a small starter first and may even go through another separation. So you may take this first 200 milliliter starter, may also be your kind of viability test, and you'll run it, 
put it in a cool place, drop the trub, drop the liquid yet again. And one of the reasons that we're always trying to get rid of this liquid, get rid of this trub, is it tends to be a source for some of the things that yeast produce, again, in an aerobic environment. Because of all this transferring, because of all this time on a starter, they're actually going to have enough oxygen, and we want them to have that oxygen so they produce strong cell walls. But again, one of the kind of... Uh, Problems with that is when they go through a full Krebs cycle and when they're processing glucose, just like us, they'll end up producing uric acid. So that's why you see online with whenever you're doing a starter, you see it in all the books that you end up pouring off that liquid on top. There, it's also filled with, you know, uh, diacetyl. It's also filled with DMS because you haven't boiled the starters probably for 60 minutes. And, and it's also filled with acetyl aldehyde. So it has all sorts of kind of funny flavors in there. And because you've been reculturing it over and over again, if you take that liquid that's now been through two or three recultures and you put it into your final beer, you're going to have m more of those flavors than you normally would. They're going to hit a century threshold. And now your beer tastes like, you know, buttered popcorn, rotten vegetables, um, and pea, as well as green apples, which can be somewhat pleasurable. But right. <laughs> you, you don't want generally high levels of any of those chemicals. So what you're going to do is you're going to start. This is going to give you gravity of 38 points. You're going to run it at least 12 to 24 hours on a stir plate or with an aeration stone. You want to, again, open up to air. You never want to close up your starters. Again, you want that oxygen, even though it's creating all sorts of bad flavors. It's creating healthy yeast cells. And then you're going to be able to move that over into your 1,000 or your you know, 15,000 Erlenmeyer flask. And if you feel pretty confident that you've done this whole solution or this whole, you know, process really well and that you've got a pretty pure sample, you know, you don't see many different layers of stratification. When you put it away in the fridge, it didn't develop any off-flavored gas or, you know, kind of like dark colors on top or oxidation. You may want to now set aside some of this sample before you pitch this on to your next beer. Uh, and put this away in the fridge again. And this is how people end up running yeast five, six, ten times without really getting any off flavors because the yeast that they're saving from doesn't go through the full work of fermentation every time. It's recultured to put back into a solution, put back into the fridge. And if you do this, you really will save a couple of generations each batch as opposed to throwing it all into the fermenter and then trying to start this whole process where we talked about last week of sanitizing the ladle, skimming off the top of the fermentation to try to save a sample. So if you can think about this, when you're doing a starter, you're going to have a very healthy sample, you're going to have a very pure sample, and it's going to be the best time to put this away. So the best time to think about saving yeast is as you're culturing up the yeast for the batch you're currently doing, not the night necessarily that you're racking the beer out of primary, although if you go back to the last show, we'll tell you how it's done. And so, again, this is a great way to not only save money, um, but to also develop a house strain. So as this yeast begins attenuating more, less, producing different fruity flavors, it's going to kind of become its own beast. And it might have its own problems as well, but it's going to have this interesting house flavor to it. Um, there's a couple of yeasts that are available for both White Labs and Y yeast, which have famous home brewers house strains. And so we think of Cry Havoc, which is like a pseudo lager um, that's Charlie Papazian's. 
uh, house strain, and then we think of Denny Khan's Denny's Favorite, which is also his house strain available through Y yeast, another really cool yeast to try. And they both kind of have this little bit of extra attenuation from being recultured and being taken from late in the process. Um, and But they also kind of both have these nice fruity flavors, um, which is kind of more towards the apple pear end in the Cry Havoc and more towards the uh, stone fruit end in the Denny's Favorite. So not only will you save some money, you'll get a little bit of extra kind of, we'll say, lab time in the basement, and you get your own strainy yeast out of the end of it. So s- saving your own yeast, you, you can... You can do it for a bunch of different reasons. It's not just saving money. Mm-hmm. There is something that kind of is a little bit different and a little bit unique that you're going to produce from this that can't quite be copied. Do, do you go back and and pull up your old recipes and roll the same yeast through a, like a family of different styles of beer? Yes, I, and I would do that a lot, partially because, one, um, we would call this chain brewing. So we would use the same yeast, building it up each time, and then moving it on to bigger and bigger beers. So you might start with something from a pseudo lager two or three beers later, and now you're on to a, like, you know, 3X IPA. Um, and so they'd be drastically different in both the styles of beer, but also the what you got from the yeast. Um, you would start getting more fruity flavors. So that first beer would be have a really big pitch on it. It would be really clean, fermented. And as you stress the yeast a little bit throughout the process and reculture it over and over again, you would end up with a little bit more fruit flavor um, and a little bit more attenuation for that IPA. And it would be a nice, fun little project. Yeah. And again, you really get to say, hey, this is a house yeast. You know what I mean? You're not yeah, yeah. going to taste these flavors in a commercial beer. Don't try to tell me that you are... Okay, very so, good. Yeah, and it's not just money saving. That's why I always try to tell people what's the saving yeast. If you're if you're doing it to try to save the six bucks per yeast, I think you're in it for the wrong aspect. <laughs> right. If you're in it for some you know some added tinkering for the hobby, again, I always like to think of this as my kind of like lab time. I you know do it in a different space often uh, than I do my brewing. Um, it's it's its own little cool like added part of the hobby. Yeah, um, I, I do have some kind of general. Um, advice too, I would always say keep a backup yeast around, a dried yeast that you trust, one that you can do for a bunch of different styles. It might be USO5, it might be Nottingham F33. Keep a pack or two in the yeast. So if you're counting on one of your saved yeast reactivating overnight and you come down the next morning and it did not, you have something to throw into a starter or throw into your final batch. Um, And start this process well ahead of time. You may want to do it two weeks before you actually plan to brew a beer. Um, Because you're going to have to, if you end up doing three, we'll say, you know, separations, you do... uh, three different starters and to bring it back up and then you decide to you know do another like couple of days in between there to actually give yourself a rest you know you're looking at a week and a half if you're getting to it like every couple of nights leaving in the fridge overnight this process could take a week so again it's a labor of love you'll get your own unique product out of it but Again, you want to think about this well ahead of time. And like I said, the best time, if you want to make it really easy on yourself, is think about it when you're doing that next starter. Do a large starter. Do the starter three days ahead of time instead of two, so you have the chance to separate the trub and then save a sample in an old pop bottle in your beer fridge so that you have a yeast ready to go next time. Well, um, 
we've got a couple minutes left here. If we're finished here, I got a general question for you. Just, I'm I think I'm noticing. Is there an explosion of sours happening? There, there. I think there is a little bit, or, or a growing. If you I think there's to, one, it, it starts with a growing appreciation. Okay. So as as people think of sours as beers that were also had Britannomyces as well as Lactobacillus, also had Pediococcus in it. So they had some of those kind of earthy, farmy flavors, whether that's at the light end of fresh cut hay, um, or if, again, there's other things on the farm that don't smell as nice as fresh cut hay, kind of more towards the end of like blue cheese. And so a lot of these traditional beers are the ones that would make it over all often had a lot of these extra flavors and, and these extra bits to it that I think turned off a lot of people when they were hitting with not only a beer that tasted like yogurt, but tart cherries and fresh cut hay and a little bit of blue cheese in there. It was just a little bit of a sensory overload. But I think you've seen brewers, especially uh, U.S. craft brewers, doing non-traditional beers um, with the sour yeast. And I go back to the, um, the sour that uh, New York Beer Project did. Um, or the, uh, the barrel-aged Britannomyces beer that Flying Bison did, where they, they picked one microbe to add in in addition to yeast, and they really picked a flavor that would match the base style that they were doing. Um, and so instead of getting sour fowl when they did their passion fruit beer, you ended up with kind of warhead nice and tart when you kind of took all those other, other elements out. And when you have that fresh cut hay without the kind of sour, you know, in, in the flying bison beer, I think it was a little more easier for people to palate. And as you kind of try these new sour or funky beers, you kind of are safe to bring in, we'll say, one new flavor each beer. So if you, you take it in little steps, it becomes a lot less intimidating. And brewers have kind of matched on that as well. Okay. And so they're kind of matching it in one little, you know, step of the process. And I, I think, I mean, they're popular throughout Europe. I think you're going to see that similar, you know, grouping of beers begin to take over. Uh, you're seeing it a bit with barley wines, Russian imperial stouts, the hazy IPAs. People aren't going for a after-dinner mixed drink. They're not going for that, you know, late-night uh, you know, scotch and coke. They're going for a late night imperial IPA. They're mm -hmm. going for that like after dinner imperial chocolate stout. Um, and you're seeing beers take the place of other beverages in the United States um, that, frankly, the beers that we had at the time just couldn't fit those kind of niche. If you have a big meal, you're not going to sit down with a small glass of light you know, yeah. beer to <clears throat> right. kind of you know clear your taste, but you need that big, you know, roasty or hoppy or you know, tangy beer to kind of take that place. All right. Cool. Good to know. That's it for us. You guys are open pretty much every day. Yeah. Well, and very soon. Uh, extended yeah. hours, too. Extended so. hours through. And, and one warning, so we've extended hours through Christmas Eve. We will be open on Christmas Eve 11 to 2. After the holidays of the week between Christmas and New Year's, we will be closed early during the week. Um, so we'll be open during that time, but we won't be open late nights. All right, very good. That's it for us. It's Niagara Traditions Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.